You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. Um, let, me, let me take, by the way, my name is Tommy. I'm the pastor here at this place today. So let's, uh, let's do a quick poll. I'm just curious. I want to know who I'm working with today. I'm going to name a season, and you raise your hand if that season is your favorite season. Okay, let's just let's see where we're at. All right, so summer. Whose favorite season is summer? I knew it would be yours, Clarissa. <laughs> All right, that's, that's good. That's good. All right, winter. Whose favorite season is winter? Okay, so here, now here comes the battle now. Here comes the battle. Whose favorite season is spring? How about fall? Who lo- look, look at fall. Look at fall. That's what I'm talking about. I knew fall would win. And so that brings me to this first point that I'm going to make. Y'all know how often you can get your Bible out and open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 if you want to. That's good. That's where we're going today. But I often use my time up here uh, as a confessional. And so I'm going to confess something to you guys right now. I love this Bible study that we're doing. I love 1 Thessalonians. I love church. I love you. I love reading the Bible. All these things I love deeply. But right now, there is competition for my love. There's something else going on that I also deeply love, and that thing going on is college football. Mm. Yes, and I love it deeply, Um, and I I dare to say too much, perhaps, sometimes. Like, I care deeply about college football, but I care deeply about this. So on this first uh, Sunday of college football season, I want you to know that my, my desires and my love are with you but they're also in Fayetteville. <laughs> and so what I'm going to try to do today is separate my football emotions from my church emotions so that God can do a good work to me, and I think he's going to. So I'm going to lay Saturday behind, not going to think about football, and I'm just going to think about 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And so as I was reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, I think Paul begins to describe this sort of um, this battle. And I think we're going to see it today. There's two forces at work. And it's like two forces, and and it's like they're coming against each other in this battle. And it's like there's one force trying to move down. Maybe you could call them teams. There's one team, and they're trying to move the ball, or mom, excuse me, move the, the gospel towards like this end zone. And then there's another force trying to oppose them. And so as I think about this chapter of Thessalonians, I don't know how it plays out in your mind, but this is how it plays out in mine. Go ahead. Alright, that's good, that's good, that's good. Again, I'm just trying to separate my emotions. But I think you see there's a battle, and, you know, there's, there's good, and, and the good wear red, and there's, there's evil, and the evil, and the evil wears burnt orange. And so I, th- I think you can see how these things are happening. And the other thing that I, I saw as I, was, as I was just thinking about all this is it seems to me like what Paul is saying is that uh, the good guys, you know, there, there's a playbook for both teams. That no matter what side you're on, there's a playbook, and, and you don't necessarily have to have on the jersey of your team for people to know who you're playing for, because the plays you're running indicate what team you're on. So even if you're not wearing the jersey, you could, like, it would be easy to spot a spy 
on the Razorbacks, right? It'd be really easy. And we had one for a while, Chad Morris. But it's easy. <laughs> you, can, you can spot a spy if that is. So you can, you can tell a spy if they're not running the plays, right? And so you get this. And so I think uh, what we're going to see today, and what I want us to see, is there's a playbook for the good guys, and there's a playbook for the bad guys. And at some point, what you and I must ask ourselves is this, and this is this serious. You must ask yourself this. What team am I on? Not because I'm wearing the right shirt, but because I'm running the right place. And so let, let's jump into 1 Thessalonians and, and let's try to figure out what the playbook looks like for a church that wants to be excellent. Because remember, that's what Paul's doing with this letter. Paul is explaining what excellence would look like in the church. And so today he's going to give us a playbook. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Y'all jump in if you've got your Bibles. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it best to be left behind alone in Athens. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you for the benefit of your faith, that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For even when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it happened as you know. Okay, right here, we're going to see the very first thing in Paul's playbook. So Paul is in Athens with Silas. We've got Paul, Silas, and Timothy. You've got a crew of three. Paul and Silas are in Athens. Athens is a very, very difficult place to be a Christian. There are over 30,000 competing gods in Athens, lowercase g, because there's only one real god, the uppercase g. But there's a bunch of false gods in Athens. It's a tough place to plant a church. It's a tough place to be a Christian. It would have been beneficial for Paul to keep Timothy with them. It had been beneficial for Paul to keep all of his resources. But instead, Paul makes a decision to send Timothy back to Thessalonica, even though it's going to cost Paul some of his own comfort and security. And so the first thing we see in Paul's playbook is this. Kingdom over self. And by the way, you can see the, you know it's not the good guys, because there's that red helmet with that beautiful little hog on it. And I, I feel like Paul would have used this same helmet had he been on a team. And so kingdom over self. This is the first thing we're saying, kingdom over self. This is the mark of excellence in a church, is your willingness to place the kingdom over yourself. And guys, you need to know this. This church was birthed by a group of people who believed in placing kingdom over themselves. Many years ago, uh, when this church had just a, a very unfortunate pastor and some other things, but many years ago, when my brother was the pastor, the, he, he was a pastor at a church called Sardis. And Sardis decided to do this. They decided to send 25 of their best and brightest to a little intermediate uh, school cafeteria to start a new church in East End. And when Sardis Church did that, and that church still exists, wonderful people, when they did that, they sacrificed greatly. Matter of fact, it, I think they would say it cost them. Because Jeff's attention, their pastor, he, he was now focused on two churches, and, and their worship pastor was focused on two churches, and 25 of their, their people were focused on, on, on a new place. And Sardis, it hurt them for what they did. It hurt them. But they understood it wasn't about them. It was about the good of the kingdom. So although it hurt them, the kingdom grew. And that is what excellence looks like in the church. People who are willing to see beyond themselves to what's best for the kingdom. I, I, I'm willing to bet this. Paul never went to East End Cafe after a sermon and said, I got nothing out of that. Because Paul wasn't in it just for Paul. He was in it for the good of the kingdom. 
And we must find that if we desire to be excellent. Guys, we're raised in a Western culture, and so we're raised to be very individualized and, and to process everything through I, 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 me, 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 through that filter. And for excellence to happen in a church, we must be willing to sacrifice. We must be willing to process things through, through a filter that said, what's the good of the kingdom? We must be willing to sacrifice our time and our resources. We must be willing to even go to a different service. Like, we must be willing to go to an 8.30 or 11.30 if that's what's best for the kingdom and for growth. We must be willing to not. You know what the death cry of a church is? That's the way we've always done it. We're not going to do anything different because it was good enough for my mom and good enough for my mama's mama and good enough for the disciples or whatever. So we're going to keep doing it this way. We must be willing to sacrifice. We must be willing to change. We must be willing to look beyond self to do what is best for the kingdom around us. And you and I know that's not always easy, is it? People are not inherently selfless. It's hard to live that way. But that's what excellence in a church looks like. All right, verse 2. And we sent Timothy, our brother. So we're going back to verse 2. We hadn't even gotten very far yet today. We sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you for the benefit of your faith so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. There's a word right there. No one would be, a, no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. You'll say, suffer affliction. What? And then he says, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. Destined for what? Affliction. Destined to suffer. For even when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance we were going to suffer affliction, and so it happened as you know. Okay, so go back one more for me. Paul is talking about about this idea that they sent Timothy. Go ahead, one, if you don't mind. And he says, we're we're suffering afflictions. Uh, We knew in advance this was going to happen. And so, again, now the second thing that you're going to see in the playbook is be prepared to suffer. The second thing you'll see in the playbook for a church that wants to be excellent is be prepared to suffer. Guys, I think we live in a world, again, where the promise for a long time was come to church and get health, wealth, and prosperity. Come to Jesus, and he'll give you everything your heart desires. Come to Jesus. Come to the altar, and Jesus will sprinkle you know, pixie dust on you, and you'll open your eyes, and everything in your world will be perfect. You'll have like a, a bluebird on your finger, and there will be a doe kissing your cheek. Is that what any of you experienced when you came to Christ? Not me. It would be funny if Snow White was actually here. That's what I experienced. <laughs> that would be un- unexpected. I, here, here's what I know. When I, when I like really repented and came to Christ, not when I was just playing church on Sunday and doing whatever I wanted the rest of the week. My life was pretty simple then, honestly, because I just did whatever I wanted. I did just enough to kind of feel good about church, but not really enough for Jesus to actually affect my life. But when I really repented and really started working, my life didn't get easier. All of my afflictions didn't go away. All of my sin wasn't suddenly cured. As as a matter of fact, when I first came to Christ, like there was a change in this relationship. There's no doubt. And I knew there was eternal change. But he began to reveal sin in me that I didn't even know was sin. I was like, that's wrong. I've been doing that my whole life. When did that become wrong? He's like, well, it's always been wrong. You just now realized it. It's like as I began to move closer to Christ, I didn't experience great simplicity it got a little more complicated. Any of y'all with me? You've been there? And I remember like I, I moved and I was living in Sardis in a house by myself. And like I was trying to figure out how to deal with emotion. 
And my whole life, I'd had some pretty good tools for dealing with emotions. <laughs> I thought they were good tools. I had good tools for managing my pain, good tools to distract myself. And now I'm in this place where, you know, people are telling me, okay, don't use those tools anymore. And I was like, then what tools do you want me to use? If I can't drink it, I can't smoke it, and I can't, well, like, what do you want me to do now? Because I'm not really sure how to manage the pain in my heart anymore. And now you took away the things that worked. And then what was worse, I'd go try those things, the old ways of dealing with pain, and they just made me sadder. I was like, well, hold on now, this isn't going to work anymore? It's as if when I first turned to Christ, there was a war inside of me. Right? You with me? I knew what I was supposed to do, but I wanted to do what I shouldn't do. And there was this battle. And I found myself at times alone, confused. I even found myself mourning the things I knew that were going to kill me. You been there? It's not necessarily simple. But now here's, here's what Paul would say. Yes, be prepared to suffer. Matter of fact, I, our next t-shirt should say, Grace Church, prepare to suffer, right? <laughs> Come suffer with us. <laughs> suffer through the sermon. But like, what Paul's going to tell us, and what I think I believe now, and so do you, so do many of you, is that the suffering doesn't compare to the joy and the peace. Amen. Is that the suffering does not compare to the unsurpassing joy of knowing Jesus Christ is my Savior. Is that I can almost deal with the momentary suffering now because I truly in my heart believe there's something better for me on the other side. And so let me tell you, come to Christ, and the truth is be prepared to suffer because it will be difficult. There will be moments of great pain. There will be moments when you love people so much that it rips your heart out. You will hurt, but you will also experience a joy and a peace that's better than anything you've ever had. And there will be a weird clarity, even in the midst of the pain, where you believe that God is still good. And I believe that, guys. And you must decide that. You must decide for yourself if that's worth it. Third thing we see is, let's, let's go to the scripture. Verse 2. Man, we're not getting through Thessalonians very quickly. But. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you for the benefit of your faith. Just keep that up there for me. So they sent Timothy at, at their own risk, at their own peril, kingdom over self, they're going to suffer more without Timothy, but they sent Timothy to do two things. Can y'all see what they are? Strengthen and encourage. So number three in our playbook is this. Strengthen and encourage one another. Strengthen and encourage. This is the sign of a church that is excellent, Amen. of a people who are excellent. Do you come in here on Sunday or during the week or in your small groups or in your whatever, do you come in here with your eyes open to strengthen and encourage other people? Or do you walk in here expecting the entire church to serve you? Because if you're coming in here to strengthen, yeah, we miss people. We miss people all the time. I talked to a guy this last week who, who was upset because we had missed him. Yes, we miss people. And that's, that's going to happen. But are we looking? Are we trying? Are you walking in here looking across the room going, man, who can I strengthen and encourage today? Who's going through pain that I know? It's like, you know how, you know how you'll see somebody on the, on the sidewalk who's a stranger and you can tell they're hurting and you walk right past them? We've all done that. Y'all have done that, right? And you kind of walk on the... We do that to people we know. I see the pain in your eyes today. And yet, I got to get to church. 
I can't, I can't deal with your pain because I got stuff in my life. I can't deal with your pain because I'm busy. Excellence is the church that will strengthen and encourage one another. Even, even when it costs us something. Even when it costs me. And so that's what I believe Paul tells us excellence looks like inside of the kingdom. But remember, Paul's not the only one with a playbook, is he? The enemy has a playbook too. And so let's jump into verse 5 real quick. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I also sent to find out about your faith. For fear that the tempter might have tempted you. And our labor would be for nothing. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. All right, so go back one for me, if you don't mind. For this reason, you can no longer... And it says in that third sentence, for fear that a... Y'all see that? For fear that a... The tempter. Who, who's the tempter? Who do, who do you think the tempter is? Okay, so, so I think what Paul is saying, what Paul seems to believe is that there is a force of good moving, that God is moving the kingdom, but there's some sort of unseen force coming against the kingdom. That there's two competing agendas, and they both have playbooks. And then there's good, and God is moving the kingdom forward, but, but that something, guys, people aren't your enemy. Hear me, all. people are not your enemy. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against this other thing that's something. And I had to tell myself this 142 times this last week because some folks were on my nerves, right? And I had to tell myself, hey, people are not my enemy. There's something going on here. And so I think the enemy has a playbook too. Let's see the enemy's playbook. For some of you who've been Razorback fans for a while, you will recognize the enemy's helmet. It's a Texas Longhorn. There was a Texas Longhorn fan at the last service, and he came up to me afterwards. And uh, I told him not to come back. So <laughs> I, think, I think we solved that problem. Addition by subtraction. So, all right. Let's, let's run through the enemy's playbook, though, real quick, okay? Because remember, God, God is pushing. The kingdom is pushing. But the enemy is also pushing. He's got an agenda, too. And the first thing on his agenda is this, that he would convince us to completely focus on ourselves. That he would convince you to completely make this experience about you. That he would convince you to, to go home today and to your spouse or at the cafe or in your small, to sit around and evaluate your experience in this room based on you. I like that song. That was a good, that was a good Sunday. They spoke to me. That was a good Sunday. I enjoyed the temperature in the room. That was a good Sunday. Or whatever, you know. But make it about you. Make it completely about you. Walk into this place wanting for you, expecting for you, deserving for you. And when we do that, we're running a play. But we're running a play for the wrong team. When you're making this experience about you, you're moving the ball down the wrong way. Zero tolerance for inconvenience, number two. This is, the enemy would love to do this. Convince you that you should not be inconvenienced for anything. As a matter of fact, I, the, a great thing for the enemy would do, and I know he's, this never happened here, but a great thing would be convince you that if I bring up giving, if I bring up your money, or I bring up service, that you should actually be offended. 
Because why in the world is he in my business? Why is he talking? That's not his business. If I talk about what you do with your time, no, be, if anything I say sounds like it might inconvenience, be offended by that. Because that is the enemy's playbook. That we would be so focused on self that anything that would draw us out of our comfort zone or challenge us or, or force us to get up and do something for the kingdom, anything where we would have less, let it be offensive. Because, oh, no, they, they just, that doesn't even make sense, right? Refuse to be inconvenienced. Number three, I think this is one of the enemy's best, best playbooks. Distract us. Distract us. Get, it, get us to get little devices. And I'm, this, this hadn't happened, thank God. Little devices and where we all just bow down to them all day long. And let's keep them on our dinner table, right? Let's keep them out at all times so that we're always distracted. And no, no here's who would be a great. Let's disguise it as we're staying connected. Wouldn't that be brilliant? Or, or here's one. Make church so entertaining. Make me so distracted by what's going on on the stage that I never have to deal with what's in my heart. Oh, that'd be good, wouldn't it? As long as I come here and I enjoy the show, then I don't really have to live it out there. I can check that box. And sometimes I think we, I think we can all, all become so in love with our church, and that's a good thing, but that's easy in so many ways. We can love the church and forget about living like Christ. And when that happens, we've simply become distracted. We lay down our lives for the king, and nothing can distract us from that. The last one, devour each other. Mm, man. Find out that someone in the room voted for him. <laughs> find, find that out. And then go to your friends and say something like this. You can't vote like that and love Jesus. Right? Because Jesus would have clearly been whatever political party you think he was in. Right? He would have clearly voted. So, so tell your friends, I don't see how anyone can vote like that and still love Jesus. Don't tell the person. Matter of fact, don't say anything directly to each other. Just around each other and about each other. Never approach someone with a problem and say, you and I got beef, let's work it out. Now just talk about them. And then and create little, oh, and here, oh my gosh, this would be a good one. And again, hopefully it'll never happen. Maybe, maybe there will be some kind of sickness. And some will wear masks and some will not. Let's devour each other over that. Let's, let's, let's devour each other on Facebook Let's do everything we can to question the faith of the mask wearer or non-mask wearer, depending on whichever side of the argument you're on. What team were we on? What team were we on? As, as I'm, I'm writing these this week, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, so many times I've been on the wrong team. So many times I've, I've rushed the ball for the wrong team. I've been playing for the wrong side. And so I think the question we must ask ourselves today is, what team are we on? And is it obvious by the plays we're running, not just by our uniforms? Because this place doesn't have an official uniform. If it did, it would be tight shirts. <laughs> Verse 8. <laughs> 
For now we really live. Oh, by the way, that's such a cool, go, go, listen. For now we really live. What is Paul going through? What's Paul going through? He's in Athens being, you know, beaten. And at some point, dude's going to be like shipwrecked and all these things. And he's like, for now we really live. This is life, fellas. I'm sitting in a Roman prison writing a letter to some of my friends. This is the good life. And his friends are like, what is wrong with you, dude? But Paul, for some reason, believes that for him to live is Christ. And to die, it's gain. And I'm going to love you. And I'm going to serve you, even if it costs me. And I'm going to elevate your needs over my needs. And I'm, I'm going I'm to like encourage you. And I'm going to love you. And I'm going to be there for you. And so put me in chains. I don't care because you can't stop me. You know how frustrating that must be to the other team? When you can't stop anything they do. Paul says, for now we really live. Then he says, if you stand firm in the Lord, for many, what thanks can we give you to God for which in return you all, the joy with which we rejoice because of you before our God. Go to the next one. This is good. As we keep praying, look what Paul does here. As we keep praying most earnestly night and day, that we may see your faces and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Verse 11. Paul is now praying for an oppressed church in an oppressed land with everyone around them hating them, okay? And look what he prays for. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Keep that one on the screen for me. He doesn't pray for a hedge of protection. He doesn't pray that all their enemies would be smited. He says, God, help us to love each other. Like I'm looking at the world and I'm looking at the enemies and, you know, I'm in Athens and God just, will you help my church to love these people in a way that looks different from the world? He doesn't say, God, will you, will you get that person elected to make sure that no one ever, you know, he doesn't say, you know, God, uh, I want to make sure that, you know, we get this or that. It's just, God, will you help my church? Help me, help my people to love each other and to love those people so that we are holy and blameless before you. What's your prayer for this place? Can I suggest that you tweak it just a little bit? I was praying for my daughter. I pray with her every night and, you know, I pray all these prayers over and, you know, and this week, ever since I read it, I've just been, God, I pray that love overflows from her and that she loves these people and that she loves those people. What would it look like if that were our prayer for each other? What would it look like if we were truly willing to sacrifice? What would it look like if we were willing to uh, advance the kingdom agenda, even if it cost us? Are you prepared to suffer for the kingdom? Are you prepared to be inconvenienced? Are you prepared to love and encourage one another? Will you ask God that this place would abound in love Ab above everything else, above everything else, that we would love one another and love them? We got the playbook. What team are you on? If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. 
To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.